This is Acts chapter 16, and you'll find the words on the screen if you want to follow along. Now, what's, uh, what's been happening is that uh, Paul and Silas have found themselves in a bit of trouble after um, freeing a, a young slave girl from demon possession. And now, um, when her owners realized, we read in verse 19, that their hope of making money was gone, this, this slave girl had been, uh, had been prophesying or been uh, fortune-telling, rather, for people. When their owners, the owners of this slave girl, realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men! The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. May God bless his word to us. Andy. Amen. Thank you. <coughs> Good morning.
It's great to see you. Uh, warm welcome to everyone, uh, particularly if you're visiting, been new and joined us. It's great to have you as part of things here uh, at Riverside. And uh, for those that have been around, you'll know that we've launched uh, the Try Praying uh, booklet uh, and also the app this week. Um, I've been praying through my one. Uh, it's great to see some answers to prayer already this week. Um, and also this week, I'm going to be giving it away to uh, a friend of mine, someone who I'm encouraging to also try praying uh, in their own life and see if God turns up and see what God wa- wants to do. And this morning, we're going to launch our series on Try Praying. And the question therefore comes for you and for me is if you wanted God to do one thing, if you wanted God to do a miracle in your life, what would that be? One miracle in your life, what would you ask for? It might be for a relationship to be restored. Uh, It might be a situation in your job that you want to change um, or see change. It could be to to pray and to plead for a son or a daughter to return uh, to God. Um, It could be for a war to stop, for reconciliation within a nation, perhaps. It could be for a loved one to surrender to Jesus Christ. It could be to pray for regained health in our body or in our finances uh, or in our prayer life. Whatever your request might be, the next question is, do we regularly and earnestly every single day bring that to God in prayer, trusting that he is able uh, to intervene into that situation? I think many of us would admit that we don't pray often Uh, about some of the deepest needs in our lives. Perhaps we give up, perhaps we grow weary, our minds wander uh, and our prayers feel empty and so we lose heart and uh, we stop praying uh, for those things. Sometimes it can seem easier to live with the difficult circumstance than to carry on praying without effect. Uh, In our better moments we, we reach out to God because we know he's a God of love but then we quickly fall back again. We doubt whether God really can make a difference surely it's impossible and so the question we're focusing on this morning is this is God able for our personal needs for serious problems in our lives and in our world does God really have the ability to do anything about them now it might be that I believe it up here Um, It may be that you're here this morning and you don't believe that God can intervene at all, that he's not involved at all in our world. But even if we do believe it here, do we believe it here? Are we persuaded in our hearts? Because when I'm not persuaded in my heart, I find it difficult to pray about difficult situations. So let's have a look at the Bible because we're told that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so I want to unpack this narrative in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Paul and Silas are in in, in prison for their faith. And we see, first of all, God's power over nature. Uh, Verse 25, uh, it's about midnight. They're singing and praising uh, God. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaken. The prison doors fly open. And uh, we see this changed circumstance. We see this change over nature. That God here overrules a natural phenomenon and uses it to accomplish his purposes. And we see that all the way through the Bible. As you pick up a Bible and read through, you see rivers parted, um, either by earthquakes or by winds, to enable God's people to escape or to enter into the lands of God's choosing. We read about manna, bread from heaven, appearing when the, the, the hundreds of thousands who are in the wilderness have no food. Some sort of uh, kind of carbohydrate 
insect residue they reckon it might have been. It appeared every day for six days, and not on the seventh. He had to take double uh, to get them through the Sabbath. But it would feed hundreds of thousands of people in the wilderness. A wind blows, and a whole flock of quail appear, um, and they're provided with meat uh, to eat. We read about Jesus who stands on the end of a Galilean boat in the middle of a storm, and he speaks peace to the storm, and everything goes quiet after threatening to capsize him. He takes some bread and some fish from this little boy, and he, and he, he gives thanks, and he gives it out, and he feeds 5,000 plus people in an amazing, amazing way. He turns water into wine. God has power over nature. Uh, in World War II, uh, there is the famous miracle uh, at Dunkirk, and many will have read about this. The situation for the British Army was pretty desperate. Uh, Nazism, um, with its kind of arrogant hostility uh, towards God, towards the truth, towards humanity, and the ruthless armies that swept across Europe, came to the point in the spring of 1940 where they have Belgium and Holland completely overrun. And there were over 300,000 British soldiers, Belgian soldiers, French soldiers, trapped at Dunkirk. Famous story. Germans in front of them, sea behind them. Absolutely nowhere to go. But back on the mainland, there were some people praying. And we have records of a guy named Rhys Howells. Uh, and he had a few students from the Bible College of Wales, and they'd been earnestly praying throughout the war. And they'd been looking for a change in the war. And at the exact time of this impending disaster at Dunkirk, his prayer journals record how they sensed the Spirit of God came on them in prayer. And at the end of that, that, that evening's prayer, they had an assurance that God was moving in this situation. And history tells us that hundreds and hundreds of little boats from the south coast went across the English Channel to rescue and to evacuate people. And it says that the sea was so calm that even the smallest boat could get across to evacuate those soldiers. And nearly every single one was evacuated. The miracle of Dunkirk was acknowledged by political and military leaders to be an intervention of God because the calm seas that allowed the smallest of boats to cross and the almost complete evacuation of the troops. Churchill, and he's famous on the beaches speak, called it the miracle of deliverance. And there was a turning point uh, in his leadership in the nation. God's power over nature. But secondly, we read about God's power over circumstances. Acts chapter 16, verse 26. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And later in verse 35, the magistrates go on and they order their official release. It's not just an escape, it's an official release in the end, a complete turnaround of circumstances. Back a few chapters in chapter 12, there's a similar situation when Peter's in prison for his faith and the believers are gathered praying uh, earnestly, it says, for, for his release. And amazingly, Peter not, gets released. An angel releases him. He comes out and he knocks on the door of the prayer meeting and he says, I'm here. And they go, no, 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 you can't be here. Yeah, it must be your angel, they say. It can't be you. And, and yet they're, they're praying <laughs> for his release. And even though they're praying for release, they don't actually believe that God would actually do it, that he would actually change the circumstance miraculously. And even there, with their incomplete faith, 
God does an amazing thing and alters history. And again, throughout the Bible, we read of this. We read of Daniel in the fiery furnace who comes out unscathed. We, we read about him with the lion's den and he's, he's not eaten by the lion's mouth. We read of Sarah, age 90, who has a child. And we read the testimonies all the way through of people, circumstances being changed in their lives. I remember there was a guy who came on the Alpha course. He's part of Riverside for many years. And I, I once asked him, as we do, is, is, have you ever, when you look back in your life, ever seen something of God's hand upon your life? And, and he sat there and he, he related this story to us, how one night, many years ago um, in his life, he'd been driving through Northfield late at night. And he came to the, the crossroads with the Bristol Road uh, in the middle of Northfield. And as he got to it, there was a green light. And he said, I had a strange sense that I should stop at the green light. And he said, as I stopped at the green light, an HGV juggernaut went straight across the Bristol Road through a red light. He said that shook him like nothing else. That got him thinking. And it was only many, many years later that he began to think perhaps there was a God involved in that situation. You may have come across the story of Brenda Myers Powell. Uh, the BBC did an article on her, a, a radio interview on her. Um, 25 years as a prostitute. Um, she had a terrible, terrible background. Her mom died. Her mom was only 16 when her mom died. She was just a baby. She was raised by her grandmother, who was an alcoholic, um, who used to bring male friends around. And she said they would regularly rape her from age five. She was pregnant as a teenager. She had two children by the age of 14. And she just wanted to be like the shiny girls on the corner. And because of that, she went into prostitution. And uh, she was trafficked. She was abused, often violently. Um, she withstood drugs for 14 or 15 years, but eventually relented because of all that she'd been through. She was shot five times. She was stabbed 13 times. She could never, ever see a way out. And when she was nearly 40, a customer threw her out of the car. But as he threw her out of the car, her dress got caught in the door of the car. And she was dragged for six blocks, ripping the skin off her face and off the side of her body. And uh, she ended up in hospital. And they called a police officer because of the, the horrendous nature of what had happened. And the police officer came in and said, I know her. She's just a hooker. She probably got what she deserved. The nurse, she said, laughed, and they left her in the waiting room. She says, I had no idea where to turn. She said, I remember looking up and saying to God, these people don't care about me. Could you please help me? And she says, God worked incredibly fast. She said, within minutes, a doctor came and took care of me. They put me in social services. They sent me to a project called the Genesis Project, and that turned her life around. Her face healed, her body healed. She says, but my soul healed. She is now helping people. She's helping children in education, in prostitution, and, uh, and helping to kind of change that whole situation. The state of Illinois completely erased her criminal record. Today she is married and she has adopted uh, another child. God's power over circumstances when we call on his name. But also, as we see there, God's power over human hearts. Verse 29, the jailer called for the lights. He rushed in and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he asked them, Sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be rescued? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the household. The jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, as did the rest of those that live with him. His heart is changed. His heart is turned towards God. It probably wasn't the earthquake or the prison doors flying open that turned him around, because actually he was about to take his own life. He was about to take his own life because if the Roman commander got hold of him, then he just didn't want to face that for allowing them to escape. But it was the fact that no one ran off. They stayed because of him. They cared enough about him. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And that act of grace and compassion opens him up to listening to the message that he has. And so he comes to believe in the Lord Jesus, it says. He trusts in that forgiveness and that transformation that it's possible because Jesus gave his life and rose from the dead, as do the rest of his household um, once they've had it explained to them. And so the obvious next step for him is, is baptism, water baptism. And, uh, and so they all get baptized. A great, great story. And uh, baptism is for all uh, once they believe. Coming to say to God that I want to belong to you saying to the church and to other believers what God's done in your life he's also done in my life saying to the world as I go into this water and come out I'm transformed transformation is possible and saying to the spiritual forces of darkness I no longer want to have anything to do with you hands off and uh, it's a sign in our lives like a wedding ring is in a marriage that says I want this to be visible to people I want to see this make this commitment visible to all and so let me encourage you to think about getting baptized. If you've never been baptized as a believer, a couple of weeks' time or maybe the next one next time, think about it and pray about it. But God's power over human hearts. And all the way through the Bible again, we see how God turns human hearts. We see Moses and Gideon who say, I can never lead these people. And yet God comes and he changes their hearts. We read about the Pharaoh who's absolutely anti-everything hard-hearted pharaoh of egypt who will not let the people of israel go and has them in deep deep slavery and yet a season of softening comes and his heart changes that enables them to escape and we have the great exodus we have elijah who god keeps his heart from quitting when everything is going wrong when everything he wants to give up god comes and encourages him uh, in that we read about Jesus coming and changing Saul's heart. Saul, the great persecutor of the church, dragging men, women, and children to their deaths. Okay, absolutely zealous about it, and yet God appears to him. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and changes his heart, and he becomes the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest exponents of the Christian faith, wrote most of the New Testament. We hear about John Newton through the centuries, a guy who was a slave trader turned to a hymn writer. And people right across this room this morning whose hearts have been changed. We see God's power over human hearts. He is able. But in every situation, there is our power to complain about circumstances or to praise God and to bring it to God in prayer and to trust him. And when the Israelites in the Old Testament were being sent off to Babylon, they'd been unfaithful to God and so they, they're getting a time of testing out in Babylon. And God gives Isaiah this chapter 40 as we know it. And it's a promise about all the things 
that God still is to them even when things are difficult. And it speaks of God's greatness and it speaks of God's pardon and of his promises and of his providence and of his presence with them that they would know because he knew they're gonna complain. And he says, I want you to trust me. And so in Isaiah 40, we read this. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause has been disregarded by my God. You've forgotten me. They think he's abandoned them, and so they grow faint-hearted and weary of faith. But he says there's another way. Do you not know, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He never stops working for our lives. And the difference here is Paul and Silas don't complain. What do they do? They pray and they sing hymns. They're in prison falsely, wrong, complete injustice, yet they pray and sing hymns and the other prisoners are listening and hear them. There is power in prayer and in praise. And for those that know Isaiah 40, if you read the end of it, it ends with those promises about God will strengthen us so that we can soar like on the wings of eagles uh, in a crisis, that we can keep running when challenges are many, that we can walk by faith day after day after day where things are difficult. He is the everlasting God. Or as Hebrews 13 puts it, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi 3, I, the Lord, do not change. God is unchangeable. As the theologians put it, he's immutable. He does not change. He is able and he is still able. Okay? He is still able today. He is able to give his followers all they could possibly need. We saw that last week, 2 Corinthians 9. He generous God supplying the needs of God's people. He's able to completely save those who come to Jesus, says the book of Hebrews chapter seven. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine if we believe the words of Ephesians three verse 20. And so this morning, this week, Lord forgive us for our unbelief because we recognize it in our hearts. Impress this not only on my head, but also deep in my heart. Because he invites us to surrender our lives to him. Come to me, you who are weary. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. There's an invitation to trust him. There's an invitation to bring things to him in prayer. And as you do, then we begin to see the impossible happen. And you won't believe the changes that can come in your life in all of the areas of our life, whether it be relationships, whether it be finances, whether it be family, whether it be career, whether it be health, whether it be our ministry, whether it's our opportunity to invite someone, someone else, and to point other people to faith in God, God will get involved. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we, we come to this passage this morning we look at these words this morning and we say to you, Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. Help us in our unbelief. Lord, we are sorry when we doubt you, when the pressures of this world overwhelm us, when the situations of our lives overwhelm us and we lose sight of your abilities. 
And we pray, Holy Spirit, you'd impress these truths deep into our hearts that there is nothing too great for your power. There is nothing too small for your love. And help us to be those that will call on your name for ourselves and for others. In the name of Jesus, amen.